When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. It's been an interesting day for a lot of people in the country who are students, who were supposed to have classes using Zoom, uh, individuals that were doing meets with friends, or people who were doing Zoom meetings or places of work, there's been problems today with Zoom. If you don't use Zoom, it's like, so what? But Zoom has become, from something no one had ever heard of, to a critical tool for so many businesses and schools. This morning, we had a notice from my son's school that was supposed to be in person, for now is online, and now looks like delayed again. It looks like in-person maybe next week. It's always next week. But anyway, I digress. We got a notice about their backup plan, that they have one. And where, if he could not get on Zoom, where he was supposed to go for his classes this morning. And this is really a standard operating procedure. I can tell you with my company, We have a backup for the backup. We do uh, so many meetings online, video meetings, that if one of the formats is not working, we have backup one and then we have backup two. And in an era where we're putting things together really so ad hoc now for something that seems to be going on and on and on, We have to be prepared for the fact that the way we do things personally or in business or like with my son with school, that we have the flexibility to have alternate plans, alternate ways of doing things. I think about the Bank of America story with the person waking up to find $2.45 billion dollars in their Bank of America account, at the same time other people woke up to find their account zeroed out. No correlation there, apparently, between one person ending up with the $2.45 billion and other people having their account zeroed out. But it's why I talk about, with monthly statements, to either turn paper statements back on for your financials, or has been suggested by many people, is if you get electronic statements, that you store them locally on your own hard drive and or in addition, have them with cloud storage of your own so that if there is a meltdown in a bank or financial system, computer, uh, brokerage house, mutual fund, 401k, whatever, that you have your backup if it becomes necessary to state your case. 
the funny thing about the person with the $2.45 billion is they got completely blown off by Bank of America, and it kept showing day after day they had all that money. And until it became a news story, that's when Bank of America corrected the balance back to what it was supposed to be. I wonder what would happen if somebody went into a branch and said, yes, I'd like to close my account. <laughs> would they have written the person a $2.45 billion check? No. But the thing is, we rely so much on technology. And technology will let us down. So being prepared just like my son's school was immediately with a backup plan that was already in place. That's the way we have to conduct our business and social life, maybe not as much, but with so many things that we do, protecting our own money, we've got to think through what happens if, because we're in a what happens if era right now, and truly with technology, we're always in that era. It's just more clear right now that you got to protect yourself. It's time for your questions. You posted for me at Clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel asking your questions. And Kim, who do you have a question from? This is from Erica in North Carolina. Erica says, I'm wondering how much car insurance coverage I need. I was going to call to try to lower my monthly rate, maybe raise my deductible up higher. And I noticed that my body injury liability is only at 30K per person, property damage only at 25K, and uninsured motorist at 30K. Is this adequate coverage? No, not any day of the week if you are somebody with assets. If you, if you don't own anything and you don't own a home, you, you don't have a lot of money, you don't have a lot of possessions, then you can go with varying low liability levels. On the other hand, having more of those things, more wealth, having a home, that kind of stuff, it's like a success tax. And that's when you need to make sure you have substantial liability coverage. And not having that leaves you too exposed to losing what you may have taken a long time or a lifetime to build up. As for raising deductibles on your auto coverage, I'm a big fan of that. Just make sure you don't raise above what, if you have a loan on your vehicle, what the lender permits for a deductible on that coverage. Joel? Clark Neal in Arizona says, I read that Ancestry.com has recently been purchased by a private equity firm. Ancestry gives subscribers the option of expunging all of their data. For privacy purposes, do you think this is now a good idea? This has been a real issue with all of the DNA testing outfits is who has access to and what can they do with your private data? The law generally is silent on this because it was not anticipated and the laws have not caught up. So in the event that one of the DNA services goes bust or they're sold, a new owner or in a bankruptcy process, the people who end up with the data could use it in many different ways that could be harmful to you. Um, I've been very public about what I found out from DNA testing about uh, my medical future. And that information 
for someone who is not in the public eye falling into the wrong hands, like with an insurance company or whatever, could be very harmful. So if you're nervous about the new owners, then deleting your data is a way for you to handle it. If there's really nothing in your data that's particularly concerning and you enjoy using the information available on Ancestry.com, then I'd leave it be. Kim? Edward in Virginia says, I've recently heard a lot of people speaking about the decline of the dollar. What I don't understand is if I'm invested in stocks or mutual funds, how does the decreased value of the dollar impact my stock holdings? Wonderful question. So it's really the mix of investing you do. If the dollar is ultimately in decline versus other currencies, it gives you an opportunity to do a meaningful percent of your investing overseas. Uh, you know, your money doesn't leave the country, but you invest in funds with whoever you use that are invested overseas. As currencies move, if in fact the U.S. dollar weakens, then the value of funds that hold foreign stocks end up more valuable just on the basis of the decline of the dollar. The bigger factor, though, in investing outside the United States and funds that invest in companies outside the United States and countries outside the United States is that we are such a developed economy that over the decades moving forward, pretty much no matter how well we run our country or anything else, odds are that there will be larger economic growth outside the United States than there is here. And that's the other reason to have holdings overseas. As far as the ultimate effect on American-based companies of a decline in the dollar, that actually can benefit you if the companies that you own shares of are heavy exporters. It makes the cost of their exports cheaper for a foreign buyer and could potentially pump up the earnings of those companies. So as far as investing based on the potential future, future weakness of the dollar, for me, that's not a major factor in how I make decisions. I make it more based on where economic growth is likely to be stronger over the decades, over the next several decades, not looking at any one year or any short cycle in the value of currencies. Joel? Clark Tisha in Georgia says, my employer filed my unemployment benefits on May 17th. And thereafter, every week, uh, up until now in August, I have not received any uh, compensation. How can I get in touch with someone from the Department of Labor in my state to look into my claim? I'm a single parent of two children, and I really need the money. I'm so financially broken at this point and really desperate for some advice. The, the State Department of Labor won't answer the phone or return my phone call or answer any emails. So what should I do? That is an unbelievable story and has been repeated in several states. The fact that your employer filed the initial application was supposed to make it much smoother as a process to receive funds. If you cannot get any help from the staff at your State Department of Labor, find out who your uh, member of the state legislature or state senate is in your state. Contact their office, and they have the ability to reach decision makers at your State Department of Labor who 
will be able to put a focus on your application for unemployment and see if you can get that money flowing. For you to be without funds promised to you by the unemployment insurance system for three months is unconscionable and can ruin somebody's life. Kim? Jim in Wisconsin says, I'm wondering if I can add money to my state's 529 plan for the tax deduction and then transfer the funds to another state plan in order to pay my student loans. Just so you know, my state currently does not allow 529 proceeds to be used for student loans. So this is something some states have not caught up with federal law that allows a portion, I think it's 10 grand, of your of your money in a 529 account to be used to satisfy the student loan debt that you may have and have that be tax-free. That was part of a law passed last year called the SECURE Act. So make sure that your state does not have a holding period that the money has to stay in the state plan for a specific period of time before you transfer that plan money in your state plan to another state. You're allowed to do a transfer and that's something that would be a smart strategy in your circumstance, but make sure you don't do it too soon that you would forfeit your state tax deal that you get for contributing to your state plan. Noel is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, how you doing? Hey Clark, I'm doing good. How are you? Oh, it's actually Noel, huh? That's correct. I know. Sorry. I gave you the, the female version of it. Yeah, not a problem. I get it often. Okay. How can I serve you, Noel? Uh, yeah, so so i am got a home mortgage, and I'm getting down fa- fairly close paying it off within probably five to seven years of paying it off. Congratulations. I've also got, thank you. And I've also got a pretty good amount of, um, I guess, emergency savings that I've put aside. And so I'm pondering as interest rates go down, I've looked at refinancing and it really doesn't make sense with like closing costs and things. What's your but balance could, on your mortgage? Uh, what, what is What was my interest rate? Is no, your said? balance. How much do you uh, still About 70000 And how much do you have in your savings? I've got about 35000 that I, I could pay down on it. Okay. All right. So halfway home. So what are you contemplating doing to replace this balance that's really not refinanceable? I don't think there's Um, a term refinanceable, but we're going to use it here. Right, right. Um, I'm looking at getting a home equity line of credit for if I had an emergency come up since I would spend down my savings. Huh, so you would you would owe 35 grand on it cuz you'd wipe out your savings, you'd owe 35 grand on the HELOC and right. you'd get rid of a 70 grand mortgage. The interest rate remaining on the 70 70 grand mortgage, what is that rate? It's at a uh, 4%. Okay, so here's the risk. You can do the HELOC at probably around 4% right now. Floor is that what you're seeing as a quote? Yeah, um, yeah, I'm at about three and uh, three quarters right now. So, yeah, somewhere around four. Okay. So those rates float. When Correct. interest rates resume going up in the U.S. economy, which who knows when that would be, 
sure. you would stand the risk that that rate would rise above what you have right now. But the stakes are so low with the balance we're talking about here right. that I think this is potentially doable. So you you have a property worth how much right now? Uh, probably two hundred seventy five thousand to three hundred thousand. Okay, so you're you have massive equity. You could easily right. get a hundred thousand dollar home equity line of credit with that amount of right. balance. You don't have to draw down, obviously, anywhere near sure. that. Take your savings, wipe out half the the mortgage would be paid off. Your effective balance would be cut in half to thirty five grand. Right. So at thirty five grand. How long would it take you to pay that off? Um, I'm thinking it'll take me probably a little under three years, maybe. Okay, I'd say that's an interest rate risk worth taking. Yeah, and that was sort of my thoughts. I just wanted to get, get your expert opinion. You were the first person who, this is like a special award. <laughs> you were the first person who I can think of who's come up in the last two years who's asked me a question about taking a fixed-rate mortgage and instead going home equity line of credit, where I've said, yeah, that makes sense. And in your case, I think it does. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you have. We are in one of the most confusing economic circumstances of my lifetime. And we had an economy that was doing quite well, that fell off a cliff in the spring of this year because of coronavirus. 50 million of our fellow Americans at one time or another have been unemployed. Today, somewhere just under 30 million, more or less, are unemployed. And I've talked about food insecurity people who have never experienced hunger before being hungry. Kids, one in five children in the United States being hungry at some point during a week. And now as eviction moratoriums start to lift around the country, we're facing people being homeless. Many of the people which are facing homelessness have never experienced that in their lives. And then the stock market at new records. And people who are of means living large right now. What in the world is going on? Well, economics is called the dismal science for a reason. It's what in economics has been labeled the K-shape. The K-shape, I can't even call it recovery yet, that you have a portion of people whose jobs have stayed secure, the professions they work in doing fine, the type of company they work for A-OK, and their lives have actually improved financially over these five months. And then you've got people who work in jobs that have been sliced, who work in fields that have been hammered. Think about anything in travel, tourism, hospitality. Uh, Think about what's been going on with the movie business, that one of the big movie chains 
when they reopened some of their theaters, made tickets for a day 15 cents. And there were all those comments people posted on social media that if they were paid $15 million, they wouldn't step back in a theater. And so this is a really, really odd, hard time where we have people that are suffering mightily and other people that are like, what, me worry? Things are great. I mean, I'm building up my savings. I'm paying down my debt. I'm refurbishing my kitchen. I mean, it is the largest split simultaneously during a recession that we may ever experience as a country. But there, there's good news in all this that may feel very hard to absorb if you're one of the people who has been so brutally affected. So first things first, because this recession was based on not normal economic reasons, but on a medical crisis, when the medical crisis lessens, and then ultimately peters out. It won't be like one day it's here and the next day it's gone, but we will have a turn. And we won't even recognize the turn till in our rearview mirror, till we're looking back. But it will turn, and this is not forever. The things that are slowing down the economy because of the loss of life and the illnesses and all the rest that have made a lot of people afraid to engage and a lot of normal lifetime activities, when that risk recedes, the people who've taken it so hard will see the job market recover. Some of the businesses that have failed and are not coming back, the job you may have had with that business, obviously that's not going to be there, but as happens every time after a financial calamity or an economic calamity, other new businesses start up, there will be opportunity. But you may not want to wait around for all that, and you may have been biding your time doing whatever you were doing that's not available right now. Other opportunities may beckon. There's a cool thing Google is doing that is uh, that you can see under the Grow.Google area, and that is offering people training opportunities to get new jobs and highly sought after fields. You won't necessarily be working for Google when you're done, but they have a number of IT kind of training programs and um, they are available to you as a way potentially as a nice long briefing, way for you to learn new skills at very, very low cost that will make you uh, desirable to companies that need people with specific technical or IT skills. Instead of going to a school that costs tens of thousands of dollars, a lot of these things from Google are like 50 bucks uh, for each tuition payment. I mean, nothing big at all. And so opportunity always emerges following economic calamity. It's a matter of looking for it and hopefully getting through the trauma 
of what today in the K is a very, very tough time for people who are at the wrong part of the K economy. It's time for your questions. You post it for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel alternating. Who's up? Clark, I'm up, and Kathy in Virginia has a question. She says, what are your recommendations regarding long-term care insurance? I turned 60 years old this year, so it's on my radar now. By the way, I began following you a few years ago. I wish I'd done it so much earlier. Well, thank you for that. And 60 is the ideal age to being looking at long-term care insurance, but it is not the ideal time. And this has been what's been really hard for people who've heard me over the years talk about late 50s to early 60s being the time period in your life where you look at long-term care. The problem is the industry went from hundreds and hundreds of players, perhaps more than a thousand insurance companies that sold long-term care, to now so few you can probably count them with the fingers on both hands because the industry didn't price the product right, cost companies in the insurance industry a fortune in untold, some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars in losses. And so it's become something that's too hot to handle for most insurance companies. The coverage you can buy now is going to be more limited and that it will restrict how long you can have coverage once it starts for typically three or five years. The inflation coverage, not as generous as before, and sadly, the premiums are higher. As has always been the case, the premiums you pay are not guaranteed and can be adjusted in the future, but the premiums of the policies being sold now will not go as crazy as they have in the recent past, as insurers know better how to price the product. So know that if you, most people, three to five years will be enough, but if you had something that led to a really long stay in a nursing home or assisted living, the problem is you won't have enough coverage for that. Now, there is an alternative that insurance companies are pushing hard, and it's called a hybrid policy where you buy a whole life insurance policy that has a long-term care insurance rider in it. If you never need the long-term care, then the money just flows to whoever you've named as beneficiary of your life insurance. If you do need it for long-term care, it reduces the payout benefit of life insurance, but a set amount of money is available for your long-term care. You don't have to worry about premiums increasing, but you're going to have a set amount that will not potentially grow with inflation like it would with traditional long-term care. My suggestion, it's not the easiest hunt, but look at both possibilities. And for many people, traditional long-term care insurance, even with the limitations that exist today, is still the preferable choice, particularly at age 60. Kim? Sean in California says, Clark, when I started college, my parents added me as an authorized user on one of their credit cards. Today, I have my own cards, I have a vehicle loan, and a great payment history. 
My parents, though, have had financial troubles recently, particularly Oops. bad in the last six months. Oh, I'm sorry. I know. And they've now maxed out the card that I am an authorized user on at $35,000. All of my cards combined have a $22,000 limit, and my oldest account is six years old. I pay them off completely every month. So Clark, I would like to purchase a home within the next six months. However, this credit card that I'm an authorized user on has really put a weight on my credit score. I've watched it drop by more than 50 points over the course of 2020. So my question is, should I ask to be removed as an authorized user? And if so, will the account disappear from my credit report or just look like a closed account? Those are great questions, and you answered the question in your question, and that is what you do, is you have yourself removed as an authorized user. Since you're not an owner of the account and you haven't been participating with that account, it is a standard procedure for you to be removed as an authorized user. Typically, once an authorized user is removed from a card, it will not reflect in your active and available credit anymore. If they have had bad payments, it's possible those might show after you're removed as an authorized user, but it would no longer be what made up your credit profile in terms of the amount of available credit being used. So that's the smart thing for you to do, and it should solve the problem. And I wish the best to your parents getting back on their feet financially. Joel? Clark Jack in Oklahoma says, is the Good Coin Foundation a legitimate organization? Our charity received a donation in the form of a check from them, and we're trying to decide if we should deposit it or not. Uh, it is one of many what are called donor-advised funds, which is kind of like a master foundation where wealthy individuals can donate money to one of these organizations. They get the tax deduction currently, and then they get to recommend donations made to charities later on. It is legitimate money that you have received, and it should, in fact, tell you which individual who believes in your charity recommended that a donation be made to you. So it is legit money, and it is yours as a charity to use. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Shan is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Shan. Hi. Shan, you are somebody who is going into a profession that you are much needed. Tell me about that. Well, I 
originally had planned on going to college, but I had a little bit of setbacks and then I wasn't able to enroll the time I was planning on. So I, it was brought up to me that I could start an apprenticeship and I went through the different options and I ultimately landed on an electrician apprenticeship. Well, I guess it would be the, uh, the best option for someone in uh, my age. It's a very high demand job right now. That is great. How old are you? I am 19. And how long will the apprenticeship last? Is, is it three stages to you becoming a full licensed electrician, apprenticeship it, journeyman, and then full license? The full licensing is at a journeyman. As soon as I, it's a five-year course, and as soon as I'm done with that, I am a journeyman, elect, journeyman electrician, and that is fully licensed to go anywhere from there. Well, that is great. And uh, you think you got the stick to itiveness to get through the five years? Yes, I do. Well, great. Well, how can I help you? Because it sounds like you've got a solid career path in front of you. All right. So I have been working at a, it's a, just a local bar and grill, not too far from my house. I've been uh, working there for a couple months now, and I've been so I can try and save up some money before I start my apprenticeship so I can have some put back. I was wondering what would be the best way to start a Roth IRA to start saving for my future. All right. So I'm so impressed at 19 establishing a Roth makes a massive difference in what kind of income you'll have way down the road because a dollar put in at the end of your teen years has so many chances to double over the decades that it puts you so far ahead of somebody who waits, let's say, till in their 30s or 40s to start saving for retirement. How much do you think is realistic for you to put in, uh, let's say, this year and next year? I'm not sure by the end of the year, but just to start off, I was going to put around 500 in. Great. And right. then as I got more availability to put more money in here and there, I was just going to try and feed money in when I had the ability to. All right. I'm going to give you a couple of choices because the amount of money matters. Uh, Fidelity Investments and Charles Schwab both offer accounts that 500 is plenty for, for you to open an account. And Fidelity specifically has something called the zero funds, where you pay no commission and no fees for the funds. There's no fee for you having a Roth with them. And you can add to it as you wish to a, a maximum each year of six grand, but the minimum, there isn't one. So I would say look at what both Fidelity and Schwab offer, and either of them would be great choices for you to do that Roth IRA. The key with either of them is to look at, in the case of Fidelity, the zero cost investment. And I would do the Fidelity Zero Total Stock Market Fund, Total Stock Market Index Fund. And with Schwab, you could do uh, what they call, I think, the Broad Market Index Fund, or you could do a Target Retirement Fund, where you would pick a year like, oh, 2060, 2065 as a time period for you to bag work. And they automatically, through the years, adjust the mix of investments. If you had $1,000 to open one, that would open up Vanguard as a choice. But with the money you have right now, 
I like both Fidelity and Schwab for you to look at. And I love your self-discipline and your maturity and your goal setting. You should feel really great about that. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.